The first cut on this record has been cross-format focused for airplay success. The men beat on their drums. to another episode of Politics Theory Other. My name is Alex Doherty and today I'm joined by Rodrigo Nunes. We'll be talking about the election victory of Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil. As always, you can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes and Acast. And you can also follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. The handle is at Other. And if you've been enjoying PTO, please consider rating or reviewing it on iTunes. It really helps to attract new listeners to the show. Thanks to the show supporters, there will be a new PTO episode every week from mid-November. And if you'd like to support the show, please do consider donating via Patreon. You can donate from as little as $1 a month. And you can find the page at patreon.com forward slash poll theory other. Rodrigo Nunes is Professor of Modern and Contemporary Philosophy at the Catholic University of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And he's currently a visiting scholar at Brown University. He's the author of Organization of the Organization Less, Collective Action After Networks. His writing has appeared in The Guardian, Al Jazeera, Viewpoint and many other venues. And his new book, Beyond the Horizontal, Rethinking the Question of Organization, is forthcoming from Verso. You can also follow Rodrigo on Twitter. His handle is Orango Quango. I thought we could begin just by talking a little bit about the charming figure of uh, Jair Bolsonaro himself. <laughs> Obviously, it was pretty clear yesterday that he was going to win the election uh, and win it quite handily. But a couple of months ago, few would have imagined him as president. Could you say something about his his background, his military career and uh, his subsequent career as a congressman in uh, the lower house of Brazil's parliament? Um, well, so he's, he starts out in the army and um, he first became notorious in i mean there are there are there are all all sorts of uh, there's all sorts of talk that connects him to like the the kind of torture underground within the army that was active during the the military dictatorship which was uh, the hard line of the military but i don't know how much truth there is to that he first became notorious in the 80s for leading a strike of um, soldiers and uh, low-ranking officers and uh, their families. So, curiously enough, the first time people paid any attention to him, uh, he's going against the military, demanding better pay for... um, the poorest sectors within the military. That gets him expelled from the army eventually. So again, the fact that he can now claim this um, image and that this memory of uh, the military regime is very ironic, but because we're dealing with someone who was expelled from, from the army. 
And then he gets elected uh, for the first time. And initially, that's his who his social base was. It was uh, the family of soldiers and low-ranking officers, cops, etc. Uh, so his initial social base is basically the families of people in the military and then the military police. And then he's been in the lower chamber ever since. He's been uh, a federal representative for the state of uh, Rio for 27 years now, in which his only legislative activity uh, involves proposing two laws, which is a pretty bad record, I suppose anyone would agree. So he starts becoming more visible in the last decade, uh, precisely, as part of the process through which the centre-right starts welcoming people and some of the uh, agenda of the far-right into um, the political mainstream. So this is uh, one of the big elements in in the story. Basically, what happens is at the start of the Lula years, the economy is doing well. PT has clearly hit upon a formula whereby um, it can use uh, the revenue from the, the global commodity boom to create a win-win situation where the poor are getting less poor and the rich are getting richer. So at that moment, it's uh, practically impossible to try and claim that PT isn't working. And what starts happening is uh, the only line of attack that the, the, the centre-right, well, what we consider the centre-right now because of Bolsonaro, uh, because something much farther to the right has appeared, uh, what they start doing at that moment is they work out that the only way to attack PT is on the one hand trying to reheat uh, the anti-communist propaganda, the uh, red scares from the 60s and 70s that uh, the military regime used, and on the other hand to use moral panics uh, surrounding parts of the PT agenda like uh, LGBT rights and abortion rights, uh, reproductive rights in, in general, etc. Um, and that's the process whereby figures like Bolsonaro start being pulled into the mainstream. The media participate in that quite actively. Everyone talks about the, the role that fake news shared through WhatsApp have had in the elections now, but the truth is if you were reading some of the relatively mainstream magazines of national circulation in Brazil for the last 10 years, you'd already be inhabiting a parallel universe by now. And, you know, we've had stories about how Cuba financed uh, Lula's election or how the Secret Service was uh, wiretapping the Supreme Court. And none of that has ever been proved but all of that precisely constituted, and the, the comments from pundits and uh, uh, the respectable opposition on top of that, started preparing uh, the, the environment in which uh, people 10 years down the line or more could come to believe that we were really on the verge 
of a um, communist dictatorship in in Brazil and vote for Bolsonaro for that mm. reason. So the combination of that that kind of culture war, but then with the economic downturn, is together that's enough to to, to get Bolsonaro into power effectively. Um, well, and a lot of other things. So uh, the various because. Obviously, the the big question in the story would be, well, if the economic downturn happened, if PT made many mistakes, why wasn't it the, um, the mainstream opposition which reaped the benefits from that situation? That would have been the more, um, that would have been the normal scenario. And I think that was the scenario that until relatively recently most people were working with most people believed that at some point uh bolsonaro would hit a ceiling of votes and the the right would eventually migrate towards a more respectable candidate and what happens in the meantime that's the most important thing in the story is uh the 2013 protests they start out as generally progressive in their um, outlook and uh, direction towards which the demands that people were bringing to the streets pointed. Um, that was generally progressive, but one of the particularities of the Brazilian case in this cycle of uh, large-scale protests that we've seen around the world since 2011 was that in Brazil, the media at some point realizes that they can't go against the protests, but they can try and exploit the protests to destabilize the PT government. So what the media do is they, well, they see that the opportunity to have something that up until then didn't exist in Brazil, which they had tried to do some five years earlier, which was to, um, to create some kind of uh, mobilized mass base against the government, as there was, for example, in uh, Venezuela. So they see people out on the streets and they see the opportunity to say, well, let's claim this is our base. And in the process of claiming this as our base, let's make that happen. Let's make that our base. So they start calling people out to the streets, presenting the protests or reducing the agenda that was being presented by the protests to an anti-corruption agenda, which was obviously meant as a shorthand against the government, against PT. This is precisely the moment when the um, Petrobras uh, scandal is starting to, to appear. And it's already when the first signs of the economic downturn are visible. Still, it's clear to me that in 2000. 13, the protests weren't against the government or they weren't against PT. But what happens is PT represses the left wing of the, those protests, the, the anarchists, uh, the autonomous activists, the young people who are out on the street. 
for a moment and it signals that it might take on some of that agenda but the the all the other political parties um the agenda from the left is that focused more on the question of of public services and so on yes yes that was that was essentially yeah on um public transport uh education health and also eventually in the course of the the protests the question of uh, police violence comes up very strongly all those demands pointed in in a direction of uh, say more democracy and the the creation of uh rights more equality etc but what pt does which was their uh great mistake was to um the moment they realize that they can't that the 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 political system won't let them try to do anything with that um, agenda. They start demonizing the protests. They start persecuted the the people to who represented, say, the the left wing of the protests, and therefore signaling that um, those demands wouldn't find a home in PT. So the signals that people start, that PT starts sending to the populations are very bad in the sense that what it is showing is uh, you have to put up or shut up. Um, We're not going to change. And that creates the possibility for the right to then try and present itself as uh, an anti-systemic force. Because what 2013 is... Uh, more than uh, an opposition to PT or an opposition to the government, is a symbolic crisis of the political system. People stopped believing in the political system as a whole. But rather than trying to somehow use that force to renegotiate their position with their coalition partners and with the rest of the political system, PT missed that opportunity and... uh, leave that space open and that some of that social base who went to to the streets open to the action of um of the right wing then in 2015 come then clearly protests against the government and for the impeachment of um, Dilma Rousseff so from one moment to another you already see a clear mutation as to how some of those people who went took to the streets on 2000 in 2013 are beginning to move to the right but even then the pro militaristic the more um far right properly fascistic element of those protests was still quite small and um and kind of um rejected by by the people by the the key actors who were organizing those protests but the protests then are used by the opposition well by part of the or most of uh, pt's coalition together with the opposition to bring down juma Hussef on grounds that were very shaky and everyone knew that they were quite shaky not that there wouldn't be possibly good grounds on which to to bring her down but the the impeachment process was clearly uh, a political process and not a criminal one as it would have to be according to um brazilian the brazilian constitution but what happens next is that the centre-right then form a, a coalition for the caretaker government that 
will be in power for the remaining um, two and a half years after uh, Juma is impeached. And this is the the Michael Temer presidency, right? Exactly. Yes, and um, and that completely destroys their credibility because the the cabinet of the Temer um, that clearly the the impeachment the whole impeachment process had been a uh, defensive maneuver of the political class thinking well we we offer the people sacrifice in in the form of PT and then PT will be the scapegoat for um, all the cases of corruption that people are hearing about and we can move on. But obviously, all the key figures in the, the Temer government were deeply involved in the, all the, the corruption scandals that were coming out at the time. So suddenly, people look at the cabinet and they see, well, these are precisely the people that we were trying to get rid of. And now these people are pushing an agenda of um, austerity reforms, um, but they have no mandate for because these these measures were never subjected to um, the popular vote, and they are highly um, unpopular. So that completely destroys the the credibility and the the political capital of the center right. And at that point, it starts becoming clear that Bolsonaro is a possibility because if you if you look to the right of the center right he is the most visible figure precisely to some extent because he is a bit of a, a, a folkloric figure like most fascist leaders tend to be he's slightly ridiculous which is why people let him get away with the kind of things that he says and and he's memorable uh, because of that because of that kind of uh, obscene behavior but once the center right completely destroy the uh, political capital then he's there does but- does his history as as a former army captain is is that quite key as well is is the military seen as a relatively clean institution as as, a, as opposed to the political class yes you could you could make the claim that the the three pillars of the bolsonaro campaign are the three the only three institutions that people still believe in in Brazil, which are the church, the military, and the family, because obviously one of the one of the results of the impeachment, which uh, was done by by people who believed that that was going to be that would begin to stabilize the political system and put an end to this uh, crisis of. Uh, legitimacy that had been going on since uh, 2013. What their their wager was clearly that you know that could be that crisis could be contained there, but what it did instead was to contaminate the legislative and the judiciary, which was took a very uh, active, sometimes clearly partisan role in the whole process and even before and after the impeachment. So, yeah, at the end of that, all the, the main uh, institutions, the, the three branches of government were highly discredited. And one of the few things that was left was the military. And then, of course, there is the fact that unlike uh, most other places in Latin America, and like Argentina, 
Chile, Uruguay, etc. There hasn't been a truth and reconciliation process in Brazil. The the transition out of the military regime in Brazil was a negotiated transition which means that it, it's much easier today for people to project the military dictatorship as this ideal past when things were safer and there was no corruption, etc., which is obviously not true. But um, because that work of um, that right to uh, the memory of uh, the, the crimes of the military regime was never worked through, then it's much easier for people now to uh, construct this imaginary past, which they want to go back to. And that's certainly one of the things that, um, that Bolsonaro is promising to them. After an election victory, there often seems to be a tendency to attribute the victory to a particular demographic and, and, and also to see the result as, as somehow preordained. Obviously, we saw the former in the case of, of Donald Trump and, and the Brexit vote in the UK, um, where you have, you know, reasonably complex electoral coalitions are just sort of reduced down to uh, the white working class and mm. the left behinds and this sort of sort of narrative. I wonder if you could say something about what the precise demographics of, of Bolsonaro's support are. Mm. Well, I think generally it's a combination of uh, of two different uh, constituencies in relative terms. The constituency in which he was the strongest was certainly among the wealthiest and um, most uh, educated members of society. So uh, obviously that's uh, in a country as unequal as Brazil, that wouldn't be enough to get anyone elected, but he did extraordinar- extraordinarily well among that constituency. And on the other hand, you have, especially in the South, the Southeast and the Midwest of Brazil, so generally areas that are not the poorest uh, of Brazil, but even uh, among some of the middle class, lower middle class and poor people who voted for PT in the past, you can definitely um, find a strong support for Bolsonaro there. Now, one of the things that um, is characteristic of um, the campaign and the, the the discourse uh, of Bolsonaro is the fact that he's managed to um, to sustain these two um, quite disparate uh, bases with um, fairly disparate um, interests, essentially by uh, saying very different things to to each one of those. I think it's one of the characteristics of um, this new far right wave with. We've already seen that with um, Trump in in the U.S. that its discourse is based on saying things and taking them back all the time and uh, constantly saying outrageous things and then claiming that they were misinterpreted and taken out of context, etc., which creates this cloud of confusion as to what is the exact opinion or the exact plans that the the candidate has. 
while also making it possible for the the candidate to be all things to all people or most things to most people who are in in his base so it's very clear in the way that bolsonaro operates that there's some some of the messaging is meant to signal to the country's elite that what can what they can expect is an ultra liberal government so they're talking about having a single um income tax bracket which um would be absolutely disastrous for the the would be obviously marvelous for the rich and absolutely disastrous for the the poorest and the middle class that sending clear signals that they intend to uh, extinguish or radically um, diminish public education and therefore open that market up to um, to private companies so on and so forth on the other hand to um, the more lower middle class or directly poor base of his candidacy the message is mostly about uh, security obviously these people because of the area the areas in which they they live because of the fact that they use public transport because uh, they work all day and come come home late at night because of the color of their skin they are the people who are the most uh, potentially the most exposed to violence and obviously crime is going up as a as a consequence of the um the economic downturn and that's his other big selling point for sure um the- so does does he make any sort of economic offer to that sector or, or not particularly because it was making me think of um how, how donald trump presents himself as both a champion of uh, the rust belt as well as of, mm. of wall street not really no that is quite remarkable actually how there's nothing by way or i mean the the only thing that he he has said in that regard was that he um is that he intends to keep the bolsa familia program instituted by pt which has become a more or less uh, untouchable thing in brazil no one could get elected if they promised to um put an end to these are the cash transfers. Exactly, right? yeah. So he's promised to keep that and possibly to expand it. He also claimed, interestingly enough, that he intends to change the name. So obviously to try and keep the policy, but cut every every tie to um, the PT. But yeah, apart from that, everything that's been... I mean, there's, there's very little by way of a program. He mostly sells a feeling. He's not really selling a program, but anything that there is by way of a program is actually extremely... a, a, a level of um, extreme liberalism that we have never experienced in in Brazil, maybe not even in Latin America uh, up, up until now. Which obviously could be one of his weak spots because now as he becomes president, he will have to deliver the economic program that he signaled to the the elite that supported him en masse. It's unlikely he could continue as he tries to be what he the president that he promised these people he was going to be. It's 
hard that he can also be the um, the president that he promised the he was going to be to the poorest, more popular part of his uh, electoral base. Except, I suppose, with the uh, possibility of the promise of more violence, uh, just perhaps not necessarily the violence that people are expecting. Exactly. Exactly. I think his um, his support from even though the the mainstream of Brazilian politics have more or less, uh, or most of it, um, more or less discreetly supported him in the second round, or at least not made any moves that could be construed as uh, a support for the other candidate i think his relationship with like the 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 establishment is going to be very tense very um very tenuous if he delivers on his economic program then that would threaten the solidity of his more popular um um the poorer um sectors of his um electoral base um, clearly, one of the options for him would be to con- continue to attract people's attention to the feeling that he's selling, which is the feeling. There is this very interesting sentence that, that's been a, a recurring aspect in all the, the episodes of uh, violence involving Bolsonaro supporters against gay and trans people and um, PT supporters women, journalists, etc. in the last few weeks, which is the party is over. So obviously he might, to compensate uh, any loss of popularity coming from the fact that he has to to do this balancing act between the, the, the two different sides of his, um, of his candidacy, one option for him would be to step up the um, internal enemy side and and yeah what what could happen then is very worrying because i mean the the brazilian police is already one one of the most lethal in the world on top of that he is a figure that's signaling to lots of people uh, that certain kinds of crimes or crimes committed against certain sectors will be dealt will be tolerated or will be be dealt with leniently by um by the police so um what could happen then is is obviously very very worrying both in the sense of uh, a very radical very violent uh, law and order push like uh Duterte's against um, the drug trade in the Philippines, but also against his political adversaries or against uh, um, LGBTQ people, uh, indigenous people, um, activists, etc. So effectively, you'd have a kind of, a, a, not a legal, but a sort of tolerated form of, of social cleansing, uh, encompassing quite quite large sectors of the population. Absolutely. Um well, that that's that's another dimension of this um, situation that we need to to take into account. Obviously, Brazilian institutions have always been very um, unaccountable and um, hard to to access, unfair, etc., to the vast majority of the population. But something like the 
so you could say that something like the the impeachment, that kind of um, maneuvering within the law, that kind of um, use of the law or or of uh, institutions to settle political questions or um, to disguise, to give some kind of uh, institutional cover for what was actually a, a relation of force, you could say that this is the norm for the vast majority of the Brazilian population, but that something like that can happen at the very top of the political system is obviously very bad because one of the effects that the impeachment has had was to send a message all the way down the the hierarchy in Brazilian institutions that everything is up for grabs. So we've had, in the last couple of weeks, we had judges, for example, ordering the police to go into um, universities, over 30 universities all over the, the country, to take down anti-fascist banners. Obviously, the the Supreme Court then said, or the, the members of the Supreme Court then said that was absurd, etc., etc. But by then, it had been done. Uh, some low-ranking judge had issued the order and the, the police um, had already done it. So it's this kind of... Um, apart from the cleansing, the social cleansing that might be tolerated by the police, there's all the measures that might be taken by parts of the the state apparatus which support Bolsonaro and they they evidently exist. Regarding the, the recent media coverage, a lot of people have been sort of at pains to point out that in contrast to authoritarian nationalist figures like Donald Trump or Putin or Erdogan, that Bolsonaro is a is a you know a real fascist, quote quote unquote. Obviously, it's not hard to see why, given, you know, the things Bolsonaro has said. He supports torture. Uh, he's argued that Brazilian generals should have killed greater numbers than they did um, during the, the military dictatorship and so on. But but I uh, I do wonder if, if, if talk of, of fascism sometimes tends to obscure what's novel about the emerging new right. And, and clearly there are immensely novel features, whether that's the, the embrace of neoliberal economic policy as opposed to some form of, of autarky, the use of social media to attain power, and also, you know, hitherto uh, the maintenance of formal democracy. You know, Putin would seem to be a, a particular case of mm. that. Um, I, I, I wonder what what's your view on that question? Well... One of the tragedies of uh, this whole story in, in Brazil is that this has been a, um, a very slow train wreck version of uh, the boy who cried wolf because um, one of the things that has happened since um, 2000, since the 2013 protest was that a lot of people, PT uh, supporters particularly, were crying fascism from the moment that people they hadn't ever seen before took to the streets. And lots of people at the time uh, said, well, these people aren't fascists, but if you keep calling them that, they might become. And obviously now we have something that's very hard to call otherwise. I think it depends, but the, obviously calling it that depends on how we understand um, fascism. And I, I would say there's basically 
two different ways in which we could uh, understand the word. One, one which pertains to political science and to history, which basically entails coming up with a with a list of characteristics of what a fascist regime would be, taken from history, and then comparing stuff that we see before us with uh, that list. One of the problems with that approach, obviously, is that we can't have full consensus on what exactly should be on that list. The other thing is uh, to consider fascism as a matter of um, social psychology or mass psychology. And certainly in the second uh, case, I think we can speak now of like a very consistent fascist, uh, fascistic element in among Bolsonaro's social base, which doesn't necessarily mean um, that he... I, I don't believe that Bolsonaro is uh, an ideologue. I don't believe he's a, he's a fanatic of any kind. I, think, I still think he is mostly an opportunist, which is obviously one of the things that's <laughs> worrying about him, because one of the ways in which his best opportunities might lie is precisely by stirring uh, those fascistic passions among, this, um, among his um, social base. I generally tend to agree with the, what seems to be the direction implied in your question, that some, sometimes we, we lose a bit of what's um, particular about what's going on um, by calling it fascism, which immediately suggests that we know what we're dealing with when we don't uh, necessarily, and immediately suggests a comparison with um, historical examples that maybe aren't entirely adequate to to what we're looking at. At the same time, I think it's important to to call this um, to call the desire that you can identify among some of his base, as I'm sure among some of um, Trump's social base and uh, Orban in Hungary and so on and so forth. I think it's it's important that we can, even if that doesn't mean that these people um, are necessarily evil or all of these people are necessarily evil per se, and they can't be they can't be um, say moved away from from those desires. But I think I think it's important to say that it's it's definitely there. There's definitely a strong element of. Um, identifying an internal enemy as the one that's to blame for in some unspecified way for all the the existing um, problems and then um, treating the elimination obviously ultimately the physical elimination if necessary of uh, of this enemy as a political horizon that's definitely on the cards I think it's <laughs> I think it's important mm. to 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 recognize that this is that this is going on. So I would say, you know, we should be maybe maybe the the the, the summary to this answer would be I, I I think I agree with you that we should be um careful in using the term fascism meaning uh historical comparisons that might obscure what's um what's new about what's going on on the other 
And we should be careful not to fail to identify that, yes, there is an element of uh, white supremacy. Yes, there is an element of um, a readiness for uh, physical violence and for settling political differences uh, with uh, political violence. There's there's an element of... uh, denial of the other's right to exist ultimately and a long-term project that comes with that we've we've already in the last couple of weeks we've already started hearing about creationism uh, being taught at brazilian schools Today, the news came out that a, um, a Bolsonaro ally who's been elected for the, the lower chamber um, has created a, a channel whereby people can uh, anonymously report on teachers for political indoctrination, so on and so forth. You've been listening to Politics Theory Other. If you'd like to hear the extended version of this and other PTO episodes, please consider supporting the show. You can find the Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash poll theory other. Thanks for listening.